morning, everybody. I'm Dan. Good to see you guys this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. So if you've got a Bible, you can open that up or grab your fridge fold and we'll check out some verses. But today we're going to be looking at communion. And um, we've, we've, what I want to do today with communion is, is kind of just give you a few of the thoughts that have been going on in my mind and my heart um, over our Living a Legacy series. And at the same time, um, some new ideas or, or some things that I've just been thinking about and as they, rely, as, they, as they kind of relate to faith and just things that are out in the world and just they're, they're just normal kind of everyday experiences that are, are great echoes of, of God's life with us. So one of those things, I'm, I'm going to be 40 this year. Yeah. So September, the, you know, the, the date is coming where I, I crest the hill and everything's down, right? And that's what they tell me. Is that true? Is that true? Okay, I just, hey, like, I, 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 somebody in my growth group had a, had a birthday this week. They turned 23, and they thought, like, life is almost over. Um, so, sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you, Ashley. Um, but, you know, it's, just, it's one of those... It's one of those things, you know, like I have no problem um, with getting older. I, I, I wear my, my white and my gray proudly. Um, I have always had the baby face, and I feel like po- people have always kind of looked down on me, even though they always look up at me, um, because the, I look so young. And so as soon as I started getting white, I'm like, I am wearing this, and I'm going to look older, you know. <laughs> but, but one of the things that comes with, that I've noticed is comes with, with just, age and experience is the benefit of, of real hindsight. Real hindsight, being able to look at the patterns in my life, being able to look at the way my heart expresses itself, the way that my, my mind thinks and, and creates reality. Man, we create our own reality sometimes, don't we? I mean, we can get trapped in patterns of thought and we can dictate to everyone around us what they feel about us, right? Right? We know perfectly because we, we try to safeguard ourselves from pain. We try to hide in, in, behind the walls of, of our own definition. And God just wants to come in and, and he wants to, to break those things down. And in hindsight, one of the things as I kind of looked back, I realized that from a very young age, like if you ask my mom, she'll tell you I was a pretty good kid. Um, She's here. You can verify this information. I'm not, I'm not lying. Uh, I, I was really interested in, in, for the most part, like being obedient. Um, the, things that, the things that I did, um, many of them she probably doesn't even know about to this day, uh, that, I got, that I got away with is because I built this, this reputation of like trustworthiness and, and being obedient. And so uh, there, there was this, this side of me that was actually pretty deceitful, you know, um, she probably doesn't know, maybe it's confession time, she probably didn't know that, that actually for years um, I, I, we would sell chocolate at, at our private Christian school and, um, and, I, and I had developed this, this affinity for chocolate and this love, this, this lust, this love affair with the world's finest chocolate. Maybe you've heard of it. It is actually the world's finest. Um, and, and every once in a while I would just be craving and I'd go like, I'd dig through the couch cushions trying to find coins and I would get the quarters together in pennies and I, that one dollar slided in my pouch and like, yes. But every once in a while I couldn't find the change, but I knew where mom's purse was. 
and a few dollars went missing. I'll be honest. I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm like, oh, I was such a little thief. Oh, my goodness. What is wrong with me? I owe you so much money, Mom. But uh, with interest, she's not going to charge me interest. That's not a godly thing to do. It's biblical. You don't charge people interest. <clears throat> so, um, anyway, totally sidetracked there. Hindsight, you know, just the, the benefit of hindsight and being able to look at in the midst of all of these, these pieces of who I, who I was and, and still who I am as, as I identify those tendencies to be a people pleaser. My obedience didn't come from necessarily a heart of worship. worship. It came from understanding the benefits, doing the risk analysis and saying, if I am good, people like me. And that was... That was my idolatry, you know. And one of the things that really, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible as I, as I came to Christ years later was the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is like a, it's like a thesis. It's like one of the most polished pieces of, of biblical literature that we have. It's kind of like an essay and kind of like a sermon at the same time, but it speaks to really the supremacy of Christ. Christ is, is better than angels, you know. Christ is, is better than Mosaic law. Christ is, is everything. Jesus is greater than all. And so as we've been living out this legacy, you know, I don't, you know, just, th just thinking about these things, like really all of this, is, it's not about the facility. You've heard Pastor Mark teach, you know, teach that. It's not, about, um, it's, it's, not, it's not about being able to kind of build some physical representation of the church. It's about being the church. It's about being in relationship with Jesus and overflowing that into the lives of each other. And that's really also what communion is about. Communion is, is fellowship with God. It's fellowship with each other. It is meant to be um, an intimate expression of our love for God and for each other, the, the deepest part of loving God and loving people. And with that comes a certain amount of awkwardness. You know, maybe you've, maybe you've felt that tension, you know, somebody's sharing a, a life journey with you, a situation, and you, like, you just know that you should pray for them, and you want to pray for them, but there's something weird about saying, can I pray for you? Maybe you felt that tension. Some of you have no problem with that at all. You're like, oh, I'll pray for anybody, anywhere. Maybe the, the grocery, grocery aisle, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But some of us, we have that tension of like, ah. Oh. I don't, know, I don't know if I can do that. There's that awkwardness. Some of us, we experience the awkwardness. You know, we'll, we'll give, but then we have these little private bubbles that we like to live in. Maybe it's our home. You know, my home is my sanctuary. It's my safe place. You know, and I, outside of my home is where I really want to live freely in my faith. But I have a really hard time maybe inviting you into my home. You know, because then, then, you, then you touch my stuff. And like, I'm okay with my germs, but after you use my toilet, like, I'm not, I'm not really comfortable with that. Or, or maybe, you know, like, I, when, when you come into, into my house, you know, maybe, maybe my, my perception is, you know, I, it has to be perfectly spotless. It has to be all whitewashed and no little dust bunnies hiding in the corners behind the door or underneath the couch. And, and what I have to do is I have to really put on this presentation for you so that 
so that I feel comfortable. It's not really about your comfort. It's really about, it's really about my comfort. Because if you see a dust bunny, you might think that I'm dirty. And cleanliness is close to godliness, right? No, it's not. It's one of those things, you know, we, 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 we draw these lines and, and when we talk about building legacy, some of the awkwardness just has to fall by the wayside. Some of it just needs to say, you know what, like that is just natural. That is just carnal. That is just fleshly. That is just really has nothing to do with loving God and loving people. I need, I need to refine that a little bit. I need to listen to, to God and let him speak into my life. And in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, some of these verses are going to be very familiar to you. Um, I hope that, that what we experience when we go to God's word is not what is so common in, in other areas of our lives that familiarity breeds contempt, right? But when we open up God's word that we realize that, that this is something that, that should be fresh and, and it's something that should be new. And in, in, in being able to see the things that are going on in our lives, the majority of us in this room were adults. There are, there are a few junior hires, a few senior hires, a few young college people. You know, as we, as we kind of look at our lives and we realize in this process of maturing that adults don't have adult problems. Adults have kid problems. Adults have problems that they just, they experienced when they were children and they never outgrew them. Some of us are still junior hires on the inside. Talk about passing gas, you know, and we'll find out who you are real quickly, you know. Make little silly jokes, you know. Repeat words, and sometimes we find that those inner pieces of us just, you know, oh, it's so, that's so funny. But, but junior high problems and senior high problems are identity problems, and adults, uh, you know, our lives are maybe more complex, but the things that are going on inside of us are just places that we have found, that we have identified, defined ourselves with something other than Jesus. And so communion is just that remembrance of Jesus. It's to be able to say, like, Jesus is greater than everything. And some of us in this room, we don't believe that. Some of us, when we talk about communion and we say, well, Jesus is meant to be a part of every single part of our life so that whatever we do and whenever we do it, Jesus should be there. Some of us, we're just like, that's crazy talk. You mean Jesus wants to be part of, of my sex life? It's crazy talk. You mean Jesus wants to be part uh, of, of the things that I put into my body and how I make decisions and how I define my health? That's, I don't know about that. Coping mechanisms are normal, Dan. This is what we all do. Yeah, it is what we all do. It's, it's fleshly, it's carnal, it's natural. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he says crazy words like, hey, I want to give you my peace that lasts. I want to give you my comforter. I want to be with you till the end of the age. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never ever going to forsake you. Like, do we really believe these things? And these are the things that start our journey of hindsight, sometimes looking back and seeing our, our failures. And honestly, like some of us were really afraid of our failures. We're really afraid of our inconsistencies. We're really afraid of the dust bunnies. They have big, scary teeth. And they, and they destroy our self-confidence. So the, the, in the, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 
He, says, he starts out this way. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The story is, is really simple. You know, in this legacy, is this, this unfolding story of faith. You know, and therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to ask, what's it there for? And he's just kind of done this, this thesis statement all the way through this point up until, you know, chapter 12 of saying like, hey, Jesus is greater and he uses this language of, of better, more, and greater about 25 times in this book. Jesus is better. He's, he's more than anything. He is greater than everything. And, and 25 times this combination kind of happens. And, and he's just pointing us and, and spurring us on and urging us to focus our, our minds and our hearts upon Christ. The story is, is profoundly simple. God made things good. Mankind broke the covenant. The law that was given showed us that we were broken and then sentenced us to death. God's justice. And so in the midst of that, God's justice demanded that God's grace also be shown. And Jesus paid it all. He offered us the opportunity of redemption, the opportunity to, to experience God's grace. And in that act, he gave us forgiveness. And forgiveness absorbs the debt of sin upon itself. That's what real forgiveness is. It, it, pays, it pays the debt of sin and says, I'm going to find something greater than vengeance. I'm going to find something greater than, than a perception of justice that just ends in destruction. We need to get to the place of empowering and equipping. And so this legacy is unfolding in our lives, the life of, of being redeemed. And some of us, we hear that and we're like, yes. Yes, I'm all in. Yes, this is, this is what the life is that I, that I want. This is, this is what God has called me to. This is what I want to be a part of. So we look to Jesus. We continue the legacy. And in the midst of this, sometimes we, we struggle with those places that we are missing the mark. Because we all know that, that good Christians, you know, we, we take the dart uh, of intentionality and, and we throw it at the board and we say, all right, I need, to, I need to read my Bible. I'm aiming for that bullseye and there it is. And oh, missed the target completely. When was the last time I read my Bible? It's there on my nightstand. It, it, but is it the living word? Is it, is it something that is, that is a, a love letter? Do I, do my, does my view of the Bible incorporate that, that it is the very voice of God speaking to me and drawing me into fellowship and communion? He wants to instruct me so that I'm not foolish. He wants to, to show me the places tangibly, step by step, that I can walk towards him and experience new life. And we grab the dart of prayer and we, and we throw it. Go, oh, I feel like I need to pray this much, whatever, whatever it is in your mind. Where do we get that? Maybe it's something we read, you know, in the Bible, pray without ceasing. I don't know if I can hit that mark. Maybe it's something, you know, well, I know so-and-so. They seem to be a prayer warrior. I heard somebody say that about them. They're a prayer warrior. What does that mean, you know? Oh, they must pray a lot. Maybe, I need, maybe they pray like five hours a day. Oh, 
don't know if I can do five hours a day. I don't even have five hours a day. My, 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 I have three young kids. How, how, do I, how do I wrestle praying for that long? What, what, do, what, do, I, what do I do? And we, and we, and we find, ah, oh, I, miss, I missed the mark. You know, we, we, we pick it up in our life with Jesus, you know. Well, man, I'm having a hard time just getting to church on Sunday, you know. Like, is, is, that, my, is that my target? Is my target in my, in my Christian walk? Uh, my bullseye is showing up at E3 at 9 a.m. on Sunday. Is that my target? Boom, you nailed it. Good job. Awesome. So what happens when we, when we throw these darts, when we, when, we draw, when we draw the bow and send the arrow out and, and all of these intentional expressions of our life is we're aiming for the bullseye, but there's this paradox. There's these things that happen because uh, sometimes when we, when we envision that target, what we're actually looking at is, is behavior modification, BM. You know what else BM stands for, right? Yeah, it's the same idea. Behavior modification is trying to say like, okay, I can perform to please God. And so I draw back the, the bow, I send the arrow out and bam, I nailed it. Today I read five chapters of my Bible, but I only planned on reading four. Yes, I win, you know? Or, or I prayed for this long or when, when somebody, you know, like out in the parking lot uh, of Publix, I saw them and, and they were obviously distressed. I actually stopped what I was doing and I ministered to them. Yes, life with God. And, and we start checking things off the list and we're aiming for this target. But there's this paradox that happens because if you ever talk to an archer, then you'll know that, that as they are lining the, the, the shot, they actually can't see the bullseye. To be able to focus on the bullseye, you'll actually miss the bullseye completely. You have to focus on something other than the bullseye. Some of you are nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about. And it's the same kind of thing in our walk with Christ. If we focus on behavior modification, if we focus on the do's, we're going to end up with a bunch of do's. And if we focus on, on Jesus, then what is going to happen is he's going to live his life through us. Knowing his character, using the, the diagnostic tools of wrestling with our hearts and, and, and saying, this is who he is, and I'm supposed to reflect him. Am I, is that actually what's happening? Because every single one of us has experienced, we've opened the door and been courteous, and it wasn't an act of worship, right? We, we, have, we have served, we have cleaned, we've washed the dishes, we've mowed the yard, and we did it with just this drain being pulled out of our very soul. We did it begrudgingly. Maybe we did it with a smile on our face. We've learned that pose oh so well. Hey, it's good to see you. Here, let me do this for you. And inside we're like, I would so much rather be on the lake right now. You know? Uh, why? All these people that just, everyone's a drain. Everyone's vying for your attention. Everyone's vying for your affection. There's so much need in the world. And some of you feel that. You feel it almost as an, in an oppressive sense. It seems to just draw strength away from you. And it's because you're not focused on Jesus. Instead of being able to show up at somebody's house, you know, and, and, and to be able to go, this opportunity, this, 
this, this service call, this job appointment, this is an opportunity for me to reflect the glory of God. This is an opportunity for me to bless somebody right now in these, in these few moments. This person, I don't even know who they are, but I get to reflect the glory of God to them. I get to give them a window into heaven. I get to share my Jesus with them, even if I never even say his name. I get to reflect his beauty. Totally different experience. And what happens in that, in that idea of, of, of aiming for the target is, is we, miss the, we miss the mark and then we hate ourselves. We actually come to despise imperfection and we despise it in all the people around us too. Oh man, can't believe them. Oh my goodness. Why, why, why can't they just do what they're supposed to do? Maybe as a parent you said that to their kids, right? Your kids. And I say this to my wife all the time. They're kids. They're dumb. <laughs> They're foolish. They're crazy. The metrics by which they measure life are not right. But some of us, we have the same exact kid problem. Measuring life by, by false standards, other people's whether they look at us or, or, or just you know, a performance-based kind of thing. So what happens is an archer isn't, isn't really focused on just simply hitting that bullseye. An archer is interested in mastery. An, ar- an archer is interested in drawing that bow, and they'll do it for an hour or two hours or three hours in a row and just draw it back and line it up and hold and shoot arrow after 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 arrow in an exercise of rightness, in an exercise of holiness, in an exercise of I am doing the right thing. I am going to persevere. Mastery is perseverance, and mastery is also grace. Because every time you don't hit the mark exactly, you have to say, there's still another opportunity. Another way that this gets, um, this gets shown is through this thing called wabi-sabi. Not to be confused with wasabi for all of you sushi lovers. Wabi-sabi, it's, it's this Japanese idea. It's not something that um, you can look up in a dictionary. It's something that has just unfolded over history, the idea of wabi and then the idea of sabi. And sabi came first, and it was just this ancient term that, that meant, you know, like to decompose and to become desolate. And then wabi was something that was very fashionable. And somewhere along the line over the, over the course of history, these words actually became interchangeable. But they came to mean something entirely new because it wasn't just about the fashionable nature of wabi, you know, and the, and the tea ceremonies and all those kinds of things. And it wasn't just about looking at kind of the dark side of life with the sabi, but it became this idea, wabi-sabi, of looking at the world and seeing the simplicity and the beauty of what is, what's going on. And so, you know, uh, uh, we have a a, a photo here uh, of this tree bark. And in the midst of it, this is wabi-sabi because in the midst of something very natural and very normal, you see that small kind of rust-colored imperfection, this this nail maybe that's been driven in and over time has rusted and all of a sudden you can appreciate the beauty and the symmetry and the grain and then at the same time there's just kind of like rust, wabi-sabi. But we don't despise the imperfection. We actually look at it and, and see it as a form of beauty. It's different. It brings color. It brings focus. 
Or maybe it looks like this um, in, in this picture of, 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 a, of a murder of crows. The murder of crows murdering a crow. You've been ostracized. You've been kicked out. A very natural, a very simple, a very um, normal thing that happens. And just to be able to say like, wow, what is that? What is the beauty in that thing that is happening? Or this is another way that it takes place in, in terms of like pottery or art. You know, um, I have a I have a favorite mug that um, that uh, that my wife and I bought. We we bought matching mugs in our first year of marriage, and it was this handcrafted ceramic. And um, about two years ago, my mom came over and she was she was blessing us and she was washing our dishes and she broke my mug. But I haven't thrown the mug away because I can't. It's still there. It's, and one day, maybe I'll find somebody that works with fine gold and maybe they can, they can turn my mug into a, an art form of wabi-sabi. Because what happens here is people didn't just go, ah, it's broken pottery. Toss it to the curb. You know, they much like people that, that view the broken pottery as an opportunity to break it up more and make it into a mosaic. The people that that um, that that are kind of living out this idea of wabi sabi, they they said, you know what, we can fix that. And we're not just going to cover it up. We're not just going to we're not just going to take that broken piece of pottery and like re lacquer it and try to match that finish exactly perfectly. Nope. See, because what has happened is, is there's a scar here. There is something that is broken, and we don't need to kind of avoid it. We don't need to, to kind of, you know, just cover it up and, and pretend like it never happened. What we need to do is, is that brokenness is actually an opportunity for grace. That brokenness is actually an opportunity for redemption. And so what they did was they filled those cracks with pure gold. The brokenness, the jaggedness, the cutting edge they turned into a symbol of beauty. They accentuated it. They drew attention to it. How'd that happen? What was the story that was going on? Oh, it's a story of amazing grace is what it is. It's a story that we can tell because we're not afraid of, of shame. Guilt is no longer a piece of the picture. Fear is not the controlling factor. Now what we can do is we can say, man, this is, this is where I was broken. And here's the pure gold of redemption. Here's the pure gold of Jesus' blood. Here's the pure gold of life with God that has brought wholeness. I can hold water again. I can be a vessel that has purpose. I can experience new life. I can overflow again. These verses in, in chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, give us this little, this little picture of some things that we can do. This way to kind of focus in on, on the mastery, on, on doing the rightness. And he says, the writer of Hebrews says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Jesus is the initiator. He's the perfecter of our faith. He calls us to, to take on this, this new grip on life, to be strengthened, to be able to focus in on him, to be able to per persevere. And in the midst of all of this, a relationship with Jesus is simply the goal. 
whatever we do, whenever we do it. And the communion table is this table of, of mystery for us. It's this table of relationship. It's this table of mastery. It's a table of, of wabi-sabi. It's a table of grace because as we go to it, we're acknowledging our brokenness. We're not going to it because we like the taste of grape juice. We don't, we're not going to it because we, we appreciate the, the savory uh, you know, spices of, of the cracker or its particular texture. We're not going to it because we all want to have just a common experience, although those are, those are all pieces of the experience. We're going because we're saying, I am broken and I need pure gold of Jesus in my life. We're going because we can say Jesus has paid it all. He is more than enough. He is with us. It's a celebration. It's a table of celebration. As we go in this, in this place, we, we, we have to like just pause for a second and, and realize what grace really does to us. My growth group and I, we've been going through this, this book called The Reason for God. And in it, this, this story of this woman is told and, and she has this quote in her experience with grace. And she'd been trying to live this performance kind of lifestyle. But then this is what she said. If I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I'd be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I could deserve a certain quality of life. But if I am a sinner saved by sheer grace, then there is nothing he cannot ask of me. That's what going to that table is proclaiming. That God, your will be done. There is nothing that I want that is greater than what you want. Jesus is greater than all. Or as the poet said, grace, she slays me. Raptured in freedom, bound up in love. Grace, dangerously close, calming me. As we come to the table to the physical sacrament, sacrament. The, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. Know that you're not coming to a table of fear or a table of guilt or to a table of shame. You're coming to a table of, of celebration. You're, you're coming to a heavenly banquet table. You're coming to a family reunion. You're coming to the throne of God. You're coming to a picture of redemption. And this is how the writer of Hebrews says it. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. I just want to cap this with verse 3 and verse 15 again. Because as we remember Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, this is what it says in verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. Our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God. And verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. 
Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You know, on this journey of legacy, Pastor Mark has encouraged us and he's called for us to have 100% participation. 100% participation. Let's, let's be all in together. Let's go on this journey. Let's, let's be unified. Let's experience communion. Let's experience completing a common goal. And in the midst of that, I don't know if you guys were here at the, at the legacy celebration on Thursday, but it was awesome. We showed a, a few little pictures of, of what was going on and, and, and some ideas of what would happen. The, the future facility team came up. The Chamber of Commerce came out. We, we closed on this facility on Monday. We own it. The people that participated, they, they gave over $160,000 in cash. And they also participated by pledging over $170,000 over the next one year. Over $330,000 has been pledged. You know, Pastor Mark said, hey, here's the, here's the bottom line, 115. Here's where we really need to get, 300. And those that participated, you exceeded the goal. You, you helped create the legacy. And communion is a call for all of us to be unified with God and with each other. And it's awkward sometimes. Sometimes you have to have, have conversations that just simply call people forward out of the darkness. Sometimes we have to go to the, to the people that are in darkness and we have to get dirty. We have to, we have to get sin and, and stain on us by simply being associated with them. Oh, did you hear Dan? He was, I saw him down on Tennessee Street on Friday night at like 1130. What was he doing? Why was he there? I bet he had a beer. <laughs> I wasn't there, but if I had a beer, it would be in the privacy of my own home and be just fine. But we, get, we, get, we put ourselves in harm's way and we open ourselves up to that awkwardness and, 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 and really, you shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be afraid of going into the places of darkness and being the light because of what other people think about you. People will always think garbage. It's just a fact. We wrestle with it. But we will not be limited as the people of God by what other people think about us, but we will be equipped and empowered by what God has said about who we are because of the blood of Jesus that was spilled. I just want to close us in prayer and, and, the, and the team's going to come back up and lead us in some musical worship and invite you guys to the table at your, at your leisure, in a place of remembrance, in a place of confession, in a place of humility, in a place of celebration. Because that is what God has called us to, together.